Welcome to the True North Fantasy Football Podcast. What up, fantasy people? You are back with the True North Fantasy Pod, and today is a celebration, tie. Today we are celebrating not only our rankings being up and ready to rock on the site, we are celebrating the beginning of the Scott Fishbowl. So as always, I'm with my co-host Tyra McLaughlin. Ty, how are you doing on this uh, world holiday? Doing really well. I had a great draft position in the Scott Fishbowl, so I ended up getting Pat Mahomes, turned around, took Miles Sanders, and paired Pat Mahomes with Tyreek Hill in the third. Um, and, you know, not to scare anybody off, this will be a heavy talk about rankings. This will be our only Scott Fishbowl talk, but it is for such great cause. So uh, what, what what's your start look like in the Scott Fishbowl? Yeah, um, my start is I was, I was at the 107. So I picked out of the 107 and I took Travis Kelsey. I really wanted to hit up those first downs as kind of an advantage at his position. Uh, in the second, the rest of it is like mega homer. The next pick was Miles Sanders. So I took him at the 206. I thought that was still good value as my running back one. And at the 307, I took Carson Wentz. He just felt like the last of a tier at quarterback for me. Uh, So I did not go in with the strategy of taking uh, Eagles, but it just worked out that way based on my draft slot. And I'm actually pretty happy with it. Yep, Die, Eagles, die. (laughs) <laughs> gonna keep that bit rolling eh? nice <laughs> but yeah real quick just on the on the scott fishbowl like you said really really good cause uh we are recording on monday night and the sfb potathon just finished this earlier this evening and last i checked the potathon was up over like twenty one thousand dollars raised so uh just hats off to those guys sal leto does a great job running that thing i can't imagine how tired that guy is and uh all the other guys that were on there i popped in a few times to check out some of the buddies and whatnot and it was fun so uh, yeah cool thing that they do over there and uh, hats off to those guys absolutely so what's on the agenda for tonight yeah so i uh at the off the hop there i kind of said we were celebrating our rankings and we are going to have a rankings episode ty so i'm going to let you get into it a little bit in a sec here but essentially we're going to we're going to be doing quarterbacks and running backs on this episode uh we're going to talk about some differences versus adp and some differences versus each other so that's going to be a really fun little chat um yeah you uh i know you're stoked about rankings being up on the site and uh you got your rankings dialed in i also know that um so yeah you fired up to talk a little bit of ranks i absolutely am and it we're sort of at that point after july long weekend fantasy gets real you know it starts heating up and we usually start zoning in at this point of the year we make sure we have all our t's crossed all our i's dotted or a little heart over them And yeah, rankings, we have our rankings established at this point. And for me, they really won't change all that much from this point on. And with that mindset comes all the fun stuff. Like we start to see who we're high on, you know, our my guys emerge and we see who our flags are planted on, who we're going to bat for. And that's about it. That's all I got for metaphors. But uh, yeah, and you and I travel, go back and forth and point out who one another is higher or lower on, and we'll do that by looking at ADP, average draft position compared to our rankings. And also we can look at some of our my guys, some of our avoids for 2020. And you mentioned it, some fantasy fisticuffs. Take a look, see at what players you and I differ on the most. And we'll point mm-hmm. out some rookies and vets. We'll check in on some polarizing guys as well. So yeah, you ready for this? <laughs> Y'all 
ready for this? Oh yeah, we got a whole plethora. So let's uh, let's dive in. So Trav, do you want to start with a little bit of news? Because we've been starving for some good fantasy info, and I think we finally got some here. So do you want to do some fantasy housekeeping really quick? Yeah, I'm pretty famished myself, buddy, so let's get into it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the biggest news we've gotten in a while, it's the remaining quarterback on the market signing. And did you hear that, Trav? That was Jared Stidham Superflex pipe dream bursting right before our eyes there. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Cam Newton to the New England Patriots. He's 30 years old coming off that Liz Frank injury, but I think we, we talked off air, and this makes a lot of sense for Cam, makes a lot of sense for New England. So what are your thoughts, Trav? Do you see this being a success? Yeah, I can see it being a successful uh, little little run Cam has for however long it is with the Patriots. I think um, it was an interesting fit for me at first because Cam's pretty flamboyant and we know how old Billy isn't really down for that. Like a hat, a big old hat. But uh, I think... I think it definitely on a team level gives them a better shot at being successful in the win column with Cam over Jarrett Stidham. I always thought that was kind of out, out there for them to be going in with just Jarrett Stidham. But yeah, I, I think it could be successful because Cam can hit his playmakers. Cam does have some rushing upside. I could see some lumps taken early in the season as Cam gets acclimated with not having a whole bunch of time. I'm interested to see how he fits and whether they morph that offense to him or whether they want him to morph for that offense. But I want to hear what you're what you're thinking about this move too because it is a, a really big move and it's kind of the last quarterback domino to fall really yeah and I think you kind of phrased that perfectly like do they morph Cam or does Cam morph to New England I think it's going to be either or I really do I think for real life football both either or you know should be successful mm -hmm. and I think it will be sort of a dink and dunk passing offense like the last full season we saw Cam in 2018, he actually proved a lot to me. He had already shown he can pepper the running back position with targets once Christian McCaffrey was mm -hmm. drafted after everyone said he would not. And Cam, can he showed he can run an efficient, short-passing offense in Carolina. He did that under North Turner in 2018, and he posted a 68% completion percentage. That was a career high by 6%. So I think that's what the passing game will look like in New England, and I love the play caller he's attached to, mm -hmm. right? Uh, For sure. With Josh McDaniels, we have to remember he drafted Tim Tebow so there should <laughs> be, be some cre <laughs> it's gonna be Tebow 2.0 <laughs> yeah <laughs> but w with Josh McDaniel I think we have a lot of faith and I th what we're talking about is that he Cam can probably acclimate to however the Patriots want to use him, and he gets to practice against that defense I I'm actually kind of falling pretty hard over this fit but I think with those compliments paid, we have to wonder if he ends up as a better real-life quarterback as opposed to a fantasy quarterback. And I know that sounds kind of backwards when talking about Cam Newton, but if his value gets too high for fantasy, I just don't know if the juice will be worth the squeeze. Mm -hmm. And in 2018, we, we saw Cam run a safe, efficient offense passing the ball, but it was slightly at the expense of his rushing upside that we love for fantasy. And 2018 marks his second lowest rushing yards of his career, his fewest rushing touchdowns. And Cam's riding close to a 20-game streak where he's under 65 yards rushing in every game. Mm. And Trav, you know, I've kind of said a lot where, you know, the splits in Cam Newton's career, when he's under 590 yards rushing or under six rushing touchdowns either in those four seasons that he has failed to hit either of those he's the quarterback 13 or worse but he's a top five quarterback if he hits both of those and he's a game changer for fantasy mm -hmm. but do you think cam can get back to those rushing totals now that he's 30 years old or given the circumstances the patriots way do you see cam newton as less of an ultimatum for fantasy yeah, well, I think there can there can kind of be a happy medium there for Cam as a rusher in New England. And I mean, I, I don't think they're going to ignore that part of his game is what I'm saying. Bill Belichick is really good at 
getting the most out of his best players. And I think that offense to me is kind of devoid of top quality players. Now I'm not saying Cam is like MVP Cam, but at the same time, he's a talented guy, right? So I think Bill Belichick's going to figure out a way to use him in that facet. And I think for me, the happy media, the, like the portion of that happy medium that I, I want is going to be the potential for all those goal line carries. Uh, but, you know, overall mm-hmm. yardage, I could potentially see him hitting like 500, maybe. That's about 30 rushing yards a game, which I don't think is really a, a crazy number to put out there. But what I want for that rushing is more the, the rushing touchdown upside for Cam. It's not as much the yardage. That's just kind of a cherry on top. But I think the, the touchdowns could be really, really nice for him this year. But do you, so do you think he needs that rushing? Like, do you need, think he needs those 500 rushing yards to be a QB one for fantasy? I, I think, I think he does just because yeah. of the playmakers that are around him on the offense. Uh, you know, he's, I, I don't, it looks like he's staying in shape. That's for sure. But you know, I don't know how quickly he's going to acclimate with little off season. So I think he does need that in order to pay that off because he's not going to have a lot of time. And you know, this is an offense that's had some dude entrenched for 20 years, like learning it and morphing it exactly how he wants right and cam hasn't been able to do that just yet no and i I think that's a big question right like we know because i i totally agree we have to devalue some of the teams that are implementing a new quarterback new system all that with this unique offseason but i think the big thing with cam is it almost is an ultimatum because we know cam just can't put up those giant fantasy numbers with his arm like he's over Mm -hmm. four thousand yards passing just once in his career and you mentioned it he's not that mvp cam anymore and he hasn't had a 30 touchdown season since that mvp season and that's almost five years ago now and that's Mm -hmm. total like rushing and passing touchdowns combined for sure but but to sway back to the other side, New England is that franchise, you know, they can produce those outliers and players have career years all the time in New England. Even back in 2008, the last full season in New England without Tom Brady, Matt Castle was the quarterback seven. And fun fact, Buddy even had 73 carries for, for New England that <laughs> season too. <laughs> Um, so does, yeah, <laughs> definitely going long here. So to sum up my thoughts on Cam, like I expect New England to throw the ball a ton, but with the weapons, this system, it, it should be a safer and efficient offense compared to a passing game to chase for fantasy, I think. And when it comes down to how I value him for fantasy or in fantasy drafts, I think it's still marinating a bit. You know, I, I sort of. It sort of borders on the theme of this epitrav, like how we rank players. My mm-hmm. rankings are pretty market driven, you know, like I want to let this breathe because how much I like Cam for fantasy probably depends on how much the hype builds. Because mm-hmm. for our home leagues, especially the name value for Cam Newton, the Patriots effect, I think that could snowball and his price in fantasy drafts could climb and climb. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you, Trav? Do you have like a solid feel for where you're willing to take Cam or have you updated your ranks? Where do you have them like reactionary ranking? I, I have them. I, I put them at 14 just because I do think that they are going to utilize that rushing upside. Uh, that may be a little bit high just yet, but maybe it was just reactionary. I, I'm not sure what round I would really take them at. Um, maybe getting close to the double digits. Probably, I would probably have to be in the double digits though, to be honest, because some of those guys that are going in like the eighth, ninth, are are guys that I definitely want over Cam. So yeah, give me, give me, you know, tenth, eleventh potentially, depending on how the quarterback board falls. How about yeah, you? Where, much... where would you go for him? That's pretty much the same. Like once we're in the double digits, I'll definitely start looking at him. And, you know, it it really is going to come down to each individual league. I think he'll go, he'll have a lot of deviation, I think, in fantasy drafts this year. Mm -hmm. 
Um, speaking of deviation, let's go to a deviant fella who is very much in the news as always. <laughs> is it last year already, Trav? Antonio Brown. Uh, I actually think this one's a great one to hit because last year I was way off Antonio Brown and now I'm down with AB for fantasy because he's not going in the third rounds of our fantasy drafts right now. For sure. Uh, with that said, there is far more going on. Like he is not on a team right now and he's also under investigation by the league. Possibly will have to serve a suspension. Mm-hmm. Um, Trav, I think it's easy to say he probably plays games this year Antonio Brown but if I say he plays nine games in 2020 do you would you take the over or under there Uh, I think I'm going to take the under on that because if I'm looking at a potential suspension I think you know four games is minimum and he did some pretty wild shit last offseason so it could be more than that uh, and, I, and I don't know if maybe he might need some time to to practice with his new team before he gets out on the field. So if you t- if you told me nine games, I think that's that's a very good push spot. But I'm going to take the under. Yeah, to me, it's, it kind of reminds me of Kareem Hunt last year, maybe Tyree Kill. And I think AB is just so talented. He's one of those players he, like he can make a huge impact on our fantasy teams. I think the payoff is mm-hmm. big if. If we get 75% of Antonio Brown, you're getting a wide receiver one. And you're getting him in the double-digit rounds of fantasy drafts. And those could be league-winning plays sometimes. But I wanted to ask you, Trav, how real is this or how imminent? Like, do you think, A.B., are teams chomping at the bit? Or do you think an NFL team will want to let the league's investigation play out before they come to a deal? Mm, that's that's a tricky one to say. I think I think a team's probably going to pounce on him in the next month or so. Uh, I don't I don't think him working out with choir boy Russell Wilson was a coincidence. I think <laughs> he is doing everything he can to repair his image. And you know, if Russell Wilson's putting in good words for him, then I think that might go a long way depending on the circles that he's putting those words out in. So yeah, I think some team is probably going to going to try and pounce on him before they get um, whatever team activities we're going to have this year kind of fired up. They'll want to see see what he's got and get him in there to decide if they want to keep him sticking around or if they want to kick him to the curb and think of other options. Because if you bring him in later and he's a knob, then it was just a shitty PR move. But if you bring him in earlier and you get a feel before the season even starts, as opposed to week two or three, then I think uh, you can kind of give yourself a little bit of an out there. Um, but what do you think? Do you think he's going to sign beforehand? Do you think all of these uh, these workouts that he's posting in, in Raiders gear or whatever he's wearing is uh, is going to be good for him? Well, I think you mentioned it, right? Like Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, these are the guys that are clamoring for his services. You know, at the team level, I don't know how real it is right now. I think management would obviously be more comfortable to let the, the investigation at the league level play out and see what his suspension is handed down as. On the other side of it, you know, I'm a blood in the streets kind of guy if I'm an owner or GM, and, you know, mm-hmm. that's how I treat fantasy football, obviously. And But we're getting into it. There's tons more baggage attached to Antonio Brown compared to last year, and he came with loads of baggage last year post-Steelers <laughs> fallout. So, you know, the concerns are 100% real. Does he get suspended? How long? Is he still a raging lunatic, by the way? Probably be good to know that. It really just, for me, comes back to A.B. He's a crazy foo. He can't rap, but he can ball, you know, and he's still Mm -hmm. basically a top 10 wide receiver all time in my books, and I think he might be the second best fantasy wide receiver ever behind only Jerry Rice. Mm -hmm. Uh, I tweeted out a mini thread about A.B. One of the nuggets in there was only two wide receivers have over five seasons in their NFL careers with 300-plus PPR points in fantasy, Antonio Brown and Jerry Rice. They did it six and seven different times, respectively. So I think... You know, Antonio Brown, if he does play, he has to be on our fantasy radar and not unlike Cam Newton, as soon as we get to that 10th round, I'll start, I'll start queuing him up. 
And but like but that. Trav, what do you think? Because the other reason is you mentioned Seattle. All of the teams that he's linked to, I have Seattle, Tampa Bay, and Houston put down here. All of those teams would come with huge fantasy implications, eh? Yeah, I hate them all. Just yeah. I hate them all. So so you yeah. hate them, yeah? <laughs> yeah. I because mean, yeah, Seattle. he could go to Seattle, crush all my DK Lockett stacks. Oh man, or mm-hmm. yeah. Totally. But and him, it's funny, like the TB there would look crazy. Outside would look crazy with Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. And then you said Tampa. Sorry, sorry to cut you off there, buddy. But yeah, Tampa, they've got two great receivers there with Tom Brady coming in, who really likes Antonio Brown, apparently. Oh, TB wants AB and TB ND. I know. That's no it's doubt. Going to muck it all up. And then Houston, <laughs> I mean, I can see it there because he would easily rise as their wide receiver one. Like, that's the difference between Houston and the other two. Like, it doesn't make me that frustrated because I'm not that invested in Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller and Kenny Stills as opposed to Godwin Evans and DK Lockett. So, I mean, out of the three, Houston would probably probably be my preferred. But even that, like, I, I don't know. I think that would just be kind of a muddy group. And we, we saw Brady. He posted 16 points in his lone appearance in 2019 last year, Antonio Brown. Not with the Bills, not with the Raiders, with Brady and the Patriots. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely got to keep that one in mind. What about this last one, Trav? Uh, David Njoku. There is so much going on with David Njoku. I love him. The shame is, given that he was a first-round pick in the NFL draft, Njoku is an explosive athletic tight end. He's heading into his fourth season now in the league, hopefully with a chip on his shoulder. Normally, a tight end like Njoku would be a locked-on target for our fantasy teams. Instead, the Browns have gone out, made a splash, signing the most expensive tight end on the market, Austin Hooper. And even though the trade rumors have popped back up, it sort of smells like O.J. Howard last offseason to me. Uh, But what do you think? Do you think David Njoku is going to get traded? Mm, I I don't know. I don't necessarily think he's going to get traded like quickly. I don't think it's going to be a snap thing. I think the Browns are still going to want some decent compensation for their former first round pick who has a crazy good athletic profile. Um, So I don't know. It really would depend on the compensation that a team is willing to give up. And I don't know if right now they're going to be willing to give up what the Browns are going to ask. I also saw a theory that the Browns might sit down and try and kind of mend fences with him and make him realize that they're going to be running a lot of two tight end sets and that he'll get a chance to be on the field. Uh, It it still remains to be seen for me, but uh, a lot would hinge on what compensation the Browns are looking for to see if a team would want to give that up. Yeah, and that, so that's interesting how you frame that because if he doesn't get traded, he's not in the worst spot. We think of Kevin mm-hmm. Stefanski, who was the offensive coordinator for the Vikings last year, coming to the Browns, taking this head coaching job. So, Trav, do you think the Browns end up looking similar to the Vikings last year? Because that might be good for Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, the tight end position, but that would also have some effect on OBJ and Jarvis Landry, no? Yeah, for sure. I think um, out of... You know, if he sticks around and they run all those two tight end sets, then somebody is going to disappoint in Cleveland because I anticipate them to pass the ball quite a bit less. I think they're going to run it much like Minnesota did really heavily last year. So I think if that's the case, then I think somebody is probably going to suffer. And for me, it's probably Jarvis over Odell, just because Jarvis gets those shorter targets. And if there's two tight ends on the field who are commanding some of those targets, they're more than likely going to be shorter targets. Now, I know David Njoku is kind of the profile who can stretch the seam, but I think if those tight ends are soaking up targets and the rush volume is lower, then I think it's Jarvis who's more hurt than Odell. Uh, what, what are you thinking for those guys? Do you think that they're going to be kind of Minnesota mid, 
Midwest, I think. I don't know where Cleveland is, to be completely honest with you. <laughs> That's great. That's very Canadian of you. Not, <laughs> I, I don't think they will be at the very end of the spectrum like it was in Minnesota last year. You know, they were so old school. It was unbelievable. It was like Stefanski plus Kubiak equals something we haven't seen since like the 40s, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> they were, there was only one team last year who ran under 40% 11 personnel. That's three wide receiver sets. It was Minnesota. They were at 22%, like almost half Damn. of the next lowest team. And the wildest thing is Minnesota ranks second in all three personnel packages that scream run to the opposing defenses. They were the only team in the NFL to run over 10% of their plays from all three of those, Hmm. a.k.a. they were over 70% of the time just screaming we're going to run the ball out of 12 personnel, 21 and 22 personnel. Right. Um, and I'm not off the rails here, Trav. I'm saying, you know, in the nerdiest way possible, we should just brace for some of those old school formations in Cleveland. And with that, maybe both Austin Hooper and David Njoku will be on fantasy radars this year. And it'll be similar to Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith and Stefanski's offense last year. And we have to keep in mind that offense with all those formations and that, you know, all that crap, what it means is, yeah, there was a ton of two tight end sets. We saw Kyle Rudolph at 80% snaps, Irv Smith at 60% snaps. But it also means they had the least amount of time where they had a slot wide receiver on the field as well. Mm -hmm. So it really does lend to what you were saying about Jarvis Landry. And if we look at those two tight ends, by the way, they split the work in the passing game. Cal Rudolph and Irv Smith both had 11% of the team's targets. And that says a couple things to me for David Njoku. Should he stay in Cleveland? Uh, Stefanski, second tight end, he has upside and he is used in the passing game. And that guy's the potential to see the same amount of targets with less playing time. And I think... Even when you looked at the defined roles of those two, you know what I mean? I think Austin Hooper is the guy who really profiles like Kyle Rudolph, and he'll see all the red zone work, and Austin Hooper will be used, even split out in the slot, twice as much as he used to in his career. If you look at Irv Smith playing 40% of his snaps out of the slot last year. Uh, But I I think we're spending a lot of time on Njoku just because I think this warns, say they keep Njoku, that will probably mean Cleveland is putting a lot of value in the tight end position. And that means they are really going to run these run-heavy packages. And that could really weigh into my rankings for players like Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham, and Jarvis. And to bring it back to the tight end position in Cleveland, like I've laid the narrative it might be one of the better offenses in the NFL, but am I overblowing that? Because now that I list the names there, where do you see David Njoku in the pecking order in the passing game? Yeah, well, it's really interesting because I think um, another factor there is the, the more two tight end sets, the less we might see Kareem Hunt put in the slot as well. And so I think mm-hmm. that could be a little bit of a dip to his value because I know we've we've said on previous episodes that we really hope that they run him out of the slot with Nick Chubb on the field. Um, so as far as the pecking order, it's for me, it's Odell first, Jarvis second, probably Austin Hooper, and then Hunt and Njoku in, in kind of battle it out for the fourth spot for me. Um, my notes here say Hunt first, but that could be real flip-floppy. Um, well, what about yeah. what about this, Trav, if I could butt in really quick? Yeah. What do you think the priority is in the slot between those three guys? Because that's one that I just haven't even thought about. And that's a really good question about Jarvis Landry, Kareem Hunt, and David Njoku. These are three guys we want to see in the slot, and that's where a lot of the production is going to come from in this offense. Totally. Now, that's a really, it's again, it's David Njoku and Kareem Hunt battling out, battling it out behind uh, Jarvis, Jarvis Landry, yeah. you know. Um, it's it's really interesting because I think uh, what we saw out of Jarvis last year was a much different season than we've seen. Like he got his targets a little further down the field. He was, you know, he was playing 
he, he still played a lot in the slot, obviously, but he was used more like as like a, a 1B to Odell Beckham as opposed to a wide receiver 2. So I wonder if maybe they would be willing to put Jarvis on the outside a little bit more. But yeah, I think uh, for me, I would probably have to say if they keep the two tight end sets, it would probably be in Joku second in the pecking order out of the slot. And I think that could bode well for him because I think it's pretty easy to say that he is the more athletic kind of slot type guy as far as those two tight ends. And, and I think that could be really good for him if he gets some run out of the slot. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how much all that kind of flakes off of Jarvis Landry's fantasy production. Also factoring in his health, he's still recovering from an injury. Uh, yeah. We have got to get to the meat and potatoes of this episode, Trevor. We've got to get <laughs> off David Njoku. But I really want to, you got to give me one of these teams here. Houston, Indianapolis, Dallas, Green Bay, Jacksonville, and the Washingtons. Who the out Washington. of those teams do you want David Njoku in? Uh, well, I can uh, like Dallas has been floated a lot, and I can see the merit behind it, but I think that muddies up the wide receiver volume distribution. So I'm going to choose Indianapolis. I think um, we've seen Philip Rivers use an athletic tight end before. Hello, mm-hmm. Antonio Gates, and we have seen Frank Reich uh, make the tight end a focal point of his offense when he had Ebron and Jack Doyle in there a couple seasons ago. So I think Indy would be a really nice fit for David and Joku. And uh, another one that I kind of like is Cincinnati, just a chance to grow with a young quarterback in Joe Burrow. They don't really have like a a tight end to really speak of. They have Uzama and um, Drew Sample, I believe. Uh, But yeah, I think Cincy could be a decent spot for him. Yeah, I put Houston as my dream landing spot with Indianapolis second, actually. So that's cool that we're on the same page there with Dallas, Green Bay, Jacksonville, Washington. I list those in order. But, Trav, I actually put Arizona, Cincinnati, and Tennessee as teams that are likely landing spots that I think he would end up being a bit overvalued. Just because I think Cincinnati, we could see the tight end position just devalued there with about 70% of the targets going to the wide receiver position. Yeah, I definitely see that. And I think with Arizona, like... People are trying to get on the Dan Arnold train, but oh, it's I'm just, there. Oh, you're there, <laughs> hey? Nice, nice. I just just in the I sense can't... where I do think he'll be the receiving tight end, who you know. But what is that worth? Is there even ten yeah. percent market share for the tight end position my, in, in, in that question, offense? Right, and yeah, that's why totally. I, I totally think you're right that he would be overvalued if he was there because of that factor. People are just salivating over the offense. So I mean, he's cheap enough that you grab him if if it's late in the draft or whatever. If he's an add-in, definitely you can add Dan Arnold. But you just got to temper those expectations for the Arizona tight end. In my opinion but um what what do you say ty we uh we jump into the meat and potatoes pretty quick here let's do it i got my cutlery ready (laughs) nice my napkins tucked into my shirt too uh real (laughs) quick before we go to um what what should we call it our little ranking soiree here Uh, i just want to take a minute and just uh, appreciate our sponsor for a sec ty so i'm going to get into that We here at True North want to give a big thank you to our sponsor, Expand the Box Score. If you don't know what they do, well first, you should. And then you need to go to their website and sign up because Expand the Box Score is THE stats database for fantasy heads of all skill levels. Ty and I use the football bundle which includes the NFL and college football package, but they got Major League Baseball, the NBA, and even Minor League Baseball. Yeah, we can't say enough good things about what Andy and the team are doing over there, so Hit the website at expandtheboxscore.com and use our promo code TRUENORTH10 to get 10% off and tell them we sent you. Once again, this is a must-have subscription if you're a stat head like we are. And don't forget that promo code is TRUENORTH10.
All right, Ty, and we are back. So yeah, thanks again to uh, Expand the Box Score. We we love having them as our sponsor. And uh, I'm gonna let you kick it off, Ty. We're gonna talk. We're gonna talk quarterbacks and running backs for the rankings. We are going to kick it off with the quarterbacks, and we're gonna start with uh, our each other's rankings versus ADP. So why don't you hit me first? Yep, and so getting into quarterbacks, I just thought it bears mentioning that it is the one position most rankings will be closest to ADP, if that makes sense. Like, the tiers are tightly packed, blah, blah, blah. But for super flexors, I picked out three signal callers amongst your rankings, T-Rav. I got Baker Mayfield, Gardner Menchu, and Jared Goff. And just give me a sec here. I'm going to go, Baker, you have five slots higher than ADP. Goff, you are plus six, and Gardner Minshew, you have seven spots higher than ADP. Baker has a spectacular schedule and a better surrounding cast. Does he have that upside we want from our late-round quarterback? Tough to say. I did just besmirch him <laughs> moments ago. <laughs> uh, Minshew, I love. He has that deep ball mentality. He put up some big league deep ball efficiency, and he did so as a rookie. But I think what really makes him an excellent late-round quarterback target is that Minshew also uses his legs. He has positive rushing touchdown regression coming. I don't know if I said <laughs> that enough. right there. And he also led the NFL in quarterback scrambles last year. But I want to ask you okay. about Jared Goff, the Goldilocks of the group. Not because of his luscious blonde hair, but Goldilocks because you're six spots higher on Jared Goff compared to ADP. You have him as a quarterback one in fantasy this year, the quarterback 11. Uh, Trav, he's also a quarterback I'm higher on, but ECR expert consensus rankings has him as the quarterback 19, and he's being drafted as the quarterback 17 in fantasy right now. So what do you see in here, Travis? Yeah, I, think, I think he's kind of being slept on a little bit just because of the uh, quote-unquote down year that the Rams offense had. Now, Jared Goff has two top 13 finishes in a row as a fantasy quarterback, and he was the quarterback six in 2018. So I think in 2019, he was obviously killed by some down performances. He had five games under 12 points and four games under 10, which is killer for your quarterback, obviously. But in every other game, he had at least 18 points, and he had a bunch of, you know, 22, 27s and whatnot. So I think Jared Jared Goff can get back on the schneid, and I think I've said before on pods that Sean McVay is really going to be uh, clamoring to get his offense humming again like it was a couple of seasons ago. So, um, yeah, I think they're going to remain really pass-heavy. Akers and Henderson in the backfield is a young group, so I think it's going to be hard for them to lean on those guys. Obviously, we know that the running back position acclimates a little bit faster, but I don't think they're going to reinvent this offense to be run-heavy because of those two rookies that are back there. So I think they're probably going to lean on Jared Goff, and he's got some really good weapons, even with Brandon Cooks leaving, with uh, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett. So uh, I, I still think the offense is pretty loaded. The offensive line's a bit of a question, uh, but I think he's probably going to be slinging, slinging it lots <laughs> this year. So I've got him as the uh, quarterback 11. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, back to, that's, that's interesting. I didn't know he finished that high in back-to-back seasons. And yeah, I'm seeing, I'm seeing much of the same. He's my quarterback 15 also tied for my highest stone quarterback in best ball, almost 30% Ooh. exposure to, to Jared Goff. Why I particularly like him in best ball is that you can build that Rams passing game. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods are guys I've stacked on the same teams. Tyler Higby, Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson. Like you can roster all these guys. You can monopolize the whole Rams offense in like a GPP and you don't have to spend a top three yeah, round exactly. pick to even do it. 
You know, the Rams, they've been, you've mentioned, they've been in an elite offense that I do for fantasy football. Three straight seasons, we've seen elite running backs, high-end wide receivers, amazing stretches. And yeah, what I love is the Rams have been top five scoring position groups as a running back position, as a wide receiver position, every year under McVay. So why wouldn't I want the quarterback at the wheel? And that's what it is, right? It just feels like fantasy points are gift-wrapped for Jared Goff, and Bobby Woods and Cooper Cup are just Mm -hmm. both yak machines and how this offense is designed, how it's trending, uh, because you mentioned that offensive line. I think it's Mm -hmm. more than questionable. So the only way the Rams will be successful, in my opinion, is to get the ball out quick, like Drew Brees quick, and continue to just dominate the league in yards after the catch. And so you kind of you kind of hinted at it, like with Cam Akers surprisingly being drafted in the second round by the Rams. Daryl Henderson is the apple of my eye forever and always. Do you think you don't think they try and revert more to the run in 2020 because the Rams threw the ball over 630? Yeah, times that, I mean that year. is a steep number to predict, so I'm not necessarily going that high. And I think they are going to run the ball a decent amount, but I don't think they're going to fully change their offense in any way because uh, they still remain pretty pass heavy when Gurley was in there and I don't think these guys are necessarily at peak Gurley level yet and they definitely don't have the offensive line that Gurley had so I think Sean McVay is smart enough to real realize that and uh, and he's going to play to the strengths and that's his pass catchers and those guys obviously run through Jared Goff so uh, yeah that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at with the Rams offense do you I know you liked Hendo last year and uh, Cam Akers is definitely rising I think he, before the show, you called him uh, 20, 2020 Daryl Henderson. So he's experiencing a similar rise. Um, what do you <laughs> think happens in that backfield? Do you think that they're going to kind of force Sean McVay to play into their skill sets a little bit? Or or what are you thinking? No, I, th- I think you're pretty much right. I think we see the running back market share correct. Yeah. That, there's no doubt there, right? The Rams were just unbelievably strange that they were near the basement of the league when it comes to targets to the running back position with Todd Gurley last year. But I think we see that correct. I think when it comes to fantasy, it's just everything has so much to do with price, right? So I'm kind of off Cam Akers a little bit. And especially after doing projections, I have DeAndre Swift, for example, scoring a pretty similar amount of points. So I definitely have questions with Cam Akers. I also have questions about him as a talent, right? Like, was he able to transcend that offensive line at FIU? Not really. Um, Or wherever he went to college. Uh, But... Florida State, thank you, <laughs> FSU. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I just, you know, we saw him not be able to kind of transcend his situation in such a poor offensive line. He was having to get all his yards, like literally three quarters of his yards after contact in, in college. So I think he might have to do it the same way, and he might be somewhat touchdown dependent. And what I hope is that Daryl Henderson uh, can at least be a standalone value, if not a league winner candidate, in those double digit rounds as he continues to fall down fantasy boards. And I'll continue to scoop him up because I really like Daryl Henderson as a talent. But I also, just to touch on what you said, I loved what you said about how the offense won't reinvent Mm -hmm. the wheel or anything, you know what I mean? Because I mentioned the passing volume. It was super high, but that was the first time under McVay that they were top 10 in attempts, even though they've been top 10 in passing yards all three years under McVay. So really, I'm targeting the passing game, and I worry that Akers might see less of the targets. I think Daryl Henderson might be the pass catching back in that Mm -hmm. that running Definitely a curious one to keep an eye on because... I wonder who is going to be the pass catcher as well, because Cam Akers had a lot of receptions in his last year at Florida State, and then Daryl Henderson had a lot when he was with Memphis as well, and I don't think we even scratched the surface of seeing his skill set in the NFL yet, so definitely an interesting backfield to watch. Um, Ty, I'm going to get into a couple of yours, okay? A couple of yours versus ADP. Uh, You 
you did mention that your rankings are very tied to the market. So I didn't find a bunch of huge differences for your uh, quarterbacks per se. But a couple that I did notice were were a couple aging vets. You have uh, Matt Stafford at quarterback 16, which is four spots below his quarterback 12 ADP. And you also have Phillip Rivers at quarterback 27, which is five spots below because he's going at the quarterback 22. So um, why don't you give me a little quick hit on both of those guys, Ty? And what are you seeing with uh, start with Stafford? Well, yeah, I, I think he's just a quarterback who's jumped the shark a little bit in fantasy. I, I like him, and uh, his deep ball attempts per attempt, his percentage of passes into tight coverage, the air yards per attempt, the red zone pass to rush ratio for Detroit. There's a lot that we can point to last year that we liked from Matt Stafford in half a season. Uh, but I do think drafting DeAndre Swift put them more into the mold of the year before <laughs> last. And, you know, we'll see on Johnson play the LeGarrette Blunt role, so to speak. But... But I think Stafford could just come with a lot of down weeks for fantasy. Phillip Rivers, on the other hand, he's the fantasy woe, man. Like, he's <laughs> off my board. I, I might be five spots lower, but he's literally just off my board. He just does not score more than 20 fantasy points very often, and he won't be a top 12 quarterback at the end of the season, at least not in points per game. In the last half decade, Phillip Rivers has just eight games with 25 or more fantasy points, and Rivers has played all 80 games during that stretch. For reference, Kirk Cousin has put up 25 or more fantasy points literally twice as many times as Philip Rivers, and everybody mm-hmm. hates Kirk Cousins. And by the way, Matt Stafford, who granted has missed some time in there, but he's had just nine games in the past half decade with 25 fantasy points or more. So he just isn't that profile of quarterback I'll ever want. Rivers can never pay off his ADP in a meaningful way. If anything, he's false sense of security for a fantasy owner. Um, but yeah, we just I, I want a very different type of quarterback at a different stage of their career as well. If we're if we're drafting quarterback late in, late in a fantasy Yeah, no, draft. I like everything you said there. I think... Indy is going to be a run-heavy offense, and I think Phillip Rivers, you know, he's got some developing options at uh, at wide receiver, but I don't know if, you know, they're going to develop with Phillip Rivers long-term. It's To me, it's just going to be kind of a clunky, clunky passing season, and the run game is going to be the one we want out of Indianapolis. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is kind of the overarching factor even if you think he's a brand new guy who can do things he hasn't done his entire career all of a sudden you're right the Colts are going to be very run heavy and people aren't you know giving that credit enough I think people still think they're going to throw the ball a lot like we saw with the Chargers last year but I think Frank Wright will have a lot more influence Mm -hmm. in that um and that is on cue Trav this next guy (laughs) as I move into our biggest differences he is one quarterback you were definitely looking at, I imagine, in that quarterback two range for fantasy. It's Ryan Tannehill. So climb on up it. You're nine spots higher on Tannehill, and you have him ranked as a quarterback one for fantasy, top 12. Uh, could have put him in that ADP bucket because he's going as the quarterback 18 and ADP as well. So what is it about Tannehill that makes him one of your guys at late round? Yeah, I think um, I'm definitely buying into AJ Brown, that's for sure. And I really liked what I saw from Ryan Tannehill when he when he got in there last year. He was from week seven when he entered the offense, which I, I might add week seven is not like a small sample. That's like decently early in the season where he took this team on a bit of a run obviously they plummeted in in the uh in the playoffs but we're not talking about that right now we're talking about Ryan Tannehill Um, (laughs) but yeah since he came in in week seven he was the quarterback three on the entire season and I think you know he did that on like hyper efficiency and a team that he doesn't have to put on his back which is great for him because I don't think he's that quarterback but I can see them continuing to be efficient because 
the team runs through Derrick Henry. Obviously, we know that they're going to run through the running game. But I think the, that will breed the efficiency because teams are going to be expecting that out of them. And uh, yeah, so I can see the efficiency, maybe not on the level that it was last year. There's probably going to be a dip in that because that was just like unsustainable. But I think where Ryan Tannehill can maybe compensate a little bit for that is with his legs. He, uh, I think he gets more, he has more mobility than he showed last year. I think uh, from that week seven game, Jameis Winston was one of the quarterbacks who had more rushing yards than Ryan. Tannehill uh, and and on that note he actually put in four touchdowns so I think those touchdowns are definitely repeatable for him with his mobility and I think he I think he might add a I think he that, might add a career high in carries last year I'm not I'm not I'm not sure that, about but carries might. but definitely touchdowns definitely touchdowns and I think he had 181 yeah. yards but you might be right I can't recall the carry total uh, but I think well, we know that 150, that's the bar yeah, from last year. Yeah, and I think year. like through a full season, he has 250 in him. So I think I think exactly. he, you know, I think he can make up for that little bit of a dip in efficiency because the weapons are condensed in AJ Brown and Jonu and both of those guys can make it happen after the catch. So Ryan Tannehill might get some easy production and then like I said, I think they're just going to be super run pretty run heavy to the point where that's going to help his efficiency it was really interesting Ty. i was actually looking and they didn't really run much play action at all i think it was like he threw 84 passes off of play action after he got in so i i think that could probably go up as well which should help him totally and you know those are all really valid points there's no doubt about it and that maybe i'll go through a few of the like i'll play devil's advocate a bit here i think the number one thing is the quarterback position. It really did kind of deteriorate down the stretch last year. A lot of the high-end quarterbacks, even like Russ Wilson, Pat Mahomes, they just they weren't that uh, for fantasy in the back half of 2019 for whatever reason. And I think you're totally right. Like we see with Baltimore that when you're such a good rushing offense, you have that built-in efficiency in the passing game. But my big concern is just the Titans offense will be one of the slowest teams and they'll definitely be one of the run heaviest. Uh, and actually, if I go back to that leaderboard that I was talking about there, I know Tannehill didn't play the full season or anything, but he had just two games with over 25 fantasy points last year. But it's nothing to scoff at that Tannehill put up 25 or more fantasy points a couple times last year because since 2015 in Tannehill's career, that puts him at a grand total of five games now, over 25 fantasy points. So just a smack in the face uh, for, for Mr. Adam Gase as always. But... But what really makes me chuckle, Trav, is that if I pick up where I left off on that leaderboard that I won't STF you about, we were at Phillip Rivers with eight games in the past half decade with 25 fantasy points. Below him is Derek Carr, who's tied with Marcus Mariota, which I thought tickled a little bit. Below the Raiders and the former Titan, there's Tannehill. So it's a it's a pretty ugly spot. It's where you don't want to be on these kind of lists. I have him, you know, just behind Matt Stafford still. So do you have you have him yeah, ahead of Matt I have Stafford him as the quarterback eleven, and I have Matt Stafford as uh, sorry, I have Ryan Tannehill as the quarterback twelve, and I have Matt Stafford at quarterback fifteen. Sorry, I uh, yeah, I was touching him up a little bit today, but uh, that's where I got Stafford at fifteen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, I, my, my whole thing with Tannehill, though, is just that second half of 2019, it was such outlier territory, you know? And I think what's really interesting is when you look at the splits, maybe I'll tweet that out, the Road yeah. of His Game Splits app for the Titans offense under Mike Vrabel with and without Ryan Tannehill. What you notice is they didn't even run more plays. They didn't even pass the ball more under Ryan Tannehill. The offense just scored like 10 points per game more on offense. And Tannehill posted, no joke, a top 10 passer rating, mm-hmm. top 10 yards per attempt numbers in the history of the NFL. And, you know... 
Tannehill is fighting all the same regression narratives Lamar Jackson is. He just, you know, won't run for 1,000 yards to compensate like Lamar will. And one last gripe, Trav. I know strength of schedule is a contentious topic, but on sharpfootball.com in predicted strength of schedule versus the run, which is based on Vegas win totals for the upcoming season, Tennessee has the second easiest strength of schedule versus the run weeks 1 to 16 and a very difficult strength schedule versus the pass. Yeah, that's I, I love that strength of schedule stuff, and I didn't I didn't actually know that, but I'm gonna stick with it, man. I've been I haven't necessarily planted a full flag in Tannehill, but uh, my flag's at half mast. Um, phrasing. Let's just say that for for Ryan Tannehill, which isn't actually a good <laughs> sign. So I don't know if that's the best analogy, but uh, I think I think we know what I'm getting at. So, uh, you... it would be the best segue if we're going into yeah, Nick Chubb. Yeah, no next. doubt. Speaking of half mast. Um, no, we're actually not going into Nick Chubb, which would be uh, so perfect, so perfect. But <laughs> I actually had a peek at one one of yours that kind of stood out for me, Ty, where we had a bit of a difference. Uh, you have Joe Burrow, the rook, at quarterback 17. I have him at quarterback 22. He is quarterback 19 in ADP and 20 in ECR. So for Joe Burrow, is that is that a product of the the offense that he's coming into, the some of the players that are around him, or do you think that's just based off Joe Burrow and the talent that he is himself? No, it, it's definitely the marriage of the coaching staff, the system, the way the Bengals have kind of uh, the trajectory that franchise is on, and then add in the number one overall pick, Joe Burrow, going there. The age, I just think he can produce right away. And he checks all the boxes for late-round quarterback in my eyes. He's accurate. The Bengals are a team I expect to be super pass-heavy. I love the array of weapons in that passing game. And I I really expect this coaching staff to cater to Joe Burrow as opposed to, to Joe Mixon. I've made that pretty clear. And I think we should see some empty back sets. And even though Cincinnati ran a shitload of three wide receiver sets last year, even some mm-hmm. four wide receiver sets, I'd, I'd bet we see even more this year. And I think when it comes down to it, Joe Burrow is just a really smart quarterback. He's really accurate. When it's when it's not there, he can scramble. So given his price, knowing and redraft, the stakes of being right on a quarterback aren't that high. All 100% take a shot on Joe Burrow. And I, I really think he can only move up boards right now when it comes to the names that we're seeing uh, in the double-digit rounds at the quarterback position mm-hmm. for fantasy. Yeah, this is one where like I'm totally prepared to eat by the end of the season because I, I'm see I see what you're seeing like super talented player. Uh, I actually like the offense around him too. I think the weapons are good and uh, J- Zach Taylor came out hot last year with that offense and I think it's only gotten better since Andy Dalton. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's one that I'm definitely uh, definitely prepared to be wrong on. Uh, but for me, it's just maybe some of the proven guys in front of him. But uh, yeah, I, I like what you said there and uh, I know you've been digging into the Bengals quite a bit this, this season and you're on the Joey Burrow train, so I dig it. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Okay, Trav, so let's get to the meat of the meat and potatoes of this episode. Let's get to the running back position. (laughs) So what I noticed in your rankings is that you have a bit of an affinity for the bangers. Three running backs you were the highest on. I put down Mark Ingram, Sony Michelle, and Jordan Howard. 
Mark Ingram, I think we can save, but you are seven spots higher than ADP on Marky Mark. I imagine that would have something to do with the mm-hmm. offense he plays in and the career Mark Ingram has put together for fantasy football. Uh, Jordan Howard is a funny one because you're only nine spots higher than ADP, and he's still just a running back three in your rankings, but you have him 15 spots higher than I do in running back rankings, so we'll definitely have to do that dance uh, sometime before the, before the regular season kicks off. I want to ask you about Sony Michelle though, because you're eight spots higher than ADP, and he's also so he's your running back 31, but he's also the running back 39 in ADP and expert consensus rankings. We talked about Cam off the top, his addition in New England no doubt rises all boats. The offense gets exponentially more dangerous, and Cam is also one of those quarterbacks who provides an added advantage to the running back just because of those run pass options. So is this just that you're a Sony truther or is it because of the <laughs> offense? Or I am not a Sony truther. I would like to lead with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's originally is the, the carry volume alone and as well as the red zone carry volume. So Sony has been uh, top 10 the last couple of years in red zone carries. And, you know, I was thinking this may be the year that he punches some more in. Previously, I was thinking he was going to have Jarrett Stidham at his quarterback. And with Cam coming in, I'm kind of struggling with this one a little bit because I can see two sides of it where Cam's going to vulture some of those red zone touches. And I can see the other side that you mentioned where Cam does help a running game overall. So I think it's uh, it's going to be really, really interesting one to watch. And I might be a little bit high on him, uh, but that volume in the last couple of years has been pretty good. I don't think running back 31 is necessarily a terrible ranking. And I think for guys going around Sony Michelle, I think his guaranteed volume is probably a little bit more solid than the guys that are going in that range with him. So I think that's a big part of it. But like I said, I'm still struggling on it a little bit. I want to see I want to see what happens as Cam kind of gets more acclimated into into the offense here. But I, I could see Sony as like a running back, you know, three, four on the roster. I don't think he's awful. So uh, that's kind of where I sit with Sony. And then um, just real quick on Ingram and, and Jordan Howard to get them out of the way and we can flip back to Sony if that's cool, Ty. I just think... For Mark Ingram, I really expect the Ravens to lean on him this year. I don't think they're the type of team that's just going to hand it over to a rookie running back. And I think they're going to let Mark Ingram because he, you know, he paid off for them big time last year. So I think they're going to continue to ride him for this year, mostly with J.K. Dobbins peppering in a little bit as the season moves on. So that's where I sit with him. And then with Jordan Howard, again, you know, these bangers, it's really interesting because I usually like the kind of dual facet Mm -hmm. running backs, but... Jordan Howard's the a punching bag of all bangers, too. Like, he just get he takes I'm sick of all your stereotypes and cheap jokes. The overweight individuals in this country are just as smart and talented and hardworking as everybody else. He does, and I don't necessarily think he he deserves it. Like, yeah, he's got bricks for hands. We we know this by now, right? I just think that the carry volume for him is usually pretty good. Like, if when teams bring him in, they bring him in so he can be that banger and get that carry volume. And I think along with that is going to come whatever goal line carries Miami is able to offer, they're going to probably offer it to Jordan Howard. So I'm not expecting a big touchdown spike season, uh, but I think when they get in close that he probably will get a chance to run the rock. So that's just kind of where I sit with Jordan Howard. I mean, we saw the Eagles brought him in and they used him like pretty heavily in that running, that running game when Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard were healthy. 
Jordan Howard was the better running running back in that offense. So that's just kind of, I just think the secure volume for those three guys is kind of where I sit with them. But if we want to flip back to Sony Ty, I know that was the uh, the one you were just itching to talk about, I'm, I'm guessing. But uh, yeah, what do you think for Sony? Like you have him as the running back 41. Um, what's the what's the downside to the upside that I was talking about? Yeah, yeah. Well, the reason I want to talk about Sony is because you no one could change my opinion on Howard. I'll never <laughs> draft him. Like he just doesn't have that payoff. And then and if I had a gun with two bullets and I was in a room with Hitler, Bin Laden, and Toby, I would shoot Toby twice. No, that's not. Okay. You were All right. being really funny, and then you went too far. I would kill Bin Laden and then Toby. No, that's still. Mark Ingram, I think we're on the same page. Like, I definitely understand all those arguments. The Sony one, I still just have, you know, I just wanted to work it out because Cam really did change the the whole thing for me because I'm coming down with a serious case of the doubts all of a sudden when it comes to that high rushing volume in New England this year. And you mentioned the vulturing of the touchdowns, but we also know just how defined the roles have been in that running back room. And we can't forget about Damian Harris, who's a third round pick waiting in the wings, but it really just does come down to the pass catching and how Sony won't get any of it. Like New England is top five in targets, market share, receptions, receiving yards, touchdowns, everything to the running back position uh, annually, but, and both seasons with Sony on the team, but none of it goes to him. And I think in 2017, DeAndre Swift stole all the passing work at Georgia from Sony Michelle too. So this, this goes back a while. (laughs) So my whole my whole point is there's there's not much upside for me because he can have 250 carries again. He can be among the league leaders in red zone and goal line carries, but he might still barely mm-hmm. pay off his ADP. And it's similar to what I was saying with the quarterbacks, except along with not many spiked weeks like a Phillip Rivers, the running backs who rely on touchdowns and big plays on the ground, they suffer from very low weeks. And Sony is under 7.5 PPR points in over 50% of his games in his career. And he's hit 15 PPR points in just about a quarter of his games. And he's never had a game with 25 fantasy points. He's never had a game with 55% snaps in a game. Never Mm. once. So it's just... Really weird how little uh, upside he has for somebody who's so talented, but I think also there's some injuries and he sees so many stacked boxes and just he can't transcend his surroundings. So he actually ended up leading the NFL in runs of zero or negative yards last year and he's not putting up those big plays. So he's just pretty much touchdown dependent to me. And this all sucks because I kind of was a Sony truther. I love Sony coming out and I did think he had a For huge sure. ceiling when when they spent such high draft capital on him they took totally, him over man. nick chubb totally yeah. like that's all like super fair and um i liked him coming out too i thought he i thought he was going to offer more explosion than we've seen in the nfl so um you know it, it feels a little mm-hmm. bit gross that i'm going to bat for sony because by any means he's not a guy that i champion but yeah i i think it could go either way i think there is going to be some volume but he just needs to be efficient on that volume which we've yet to see so um I, i'm kind of holding holding out hope on those touchdowns i'm guessing hold it now come on come on all right ty i'm gonna get into a couple for you here couple complimentary backs we've got Tariq cohen and tevin coleman so Tariq cohen is eight spots high for you versus adp you have him at running back 30 and in adp he is the running back 38 
48. Uh, just for context, I have met running back 43. And then as far as Tevin Coleman, you have met running back 32, where he's going as the running back 42 in ADP. And I have him, I have him at 49. So um, I'm, I'm pretty certain for Cohen that you are, you've got him there because of the safe target volume. But I want to talk a little bit about, uh, about Tevin Coleman here. Do you think this is finally going to be just like a two-headed monster in San Francisco? Because my ranking kind of reflects that I think it's going to be three, but I'm curious to see what you've got to say on that. No, to be honest, you know, I've I've actually been kind of totally. fighting against Devin Coleman for two years straight. Like, I'm just not sure. a huge... <laughs> I know, like, I'm not a huge Devin Coleman fan, but... See that guy I'm chasing? I hate him. It's just that outside zone scheme that Shanahan runs in San Francisco, and we talked a little bit when Debo Samuel's injury cropped up, that should he miss some time, that they likely just lean on the run game like we saw from weeks one to five last year before Emmanuel Sanders came into that offense, so I have him ranked as a top 36 running back just because of the upside, and Tevin Coleman is not a Mm one-dimensional back. We've seen him average about 40 targets a year in Atlanta uh, including a blow-up season through the air with Kyle Shanahan in 2016. So I just think the upside's there, and when you're adding a running back 3, 4, 5, you know, I'm, I'm adding sure. upside, upside, upside. So I just think when it comes to the names around him, Tevin Coleman's just a guy who always stands out because of his situation. But to answer your question, I honestly do not think it's going to be a two-headed uh, uh, backfield. We have to account for Jared <laughs> fucking McKinnon, you know. He's never going to die. And uh, we also... And just you, you think of Raheem Mostert and how ingrained he is now all of a sudden, but you know, he was a UDFA and Kyle Shanahan, the Shanahan family is famous for making, you know, UDFAs famous, right? Uh that that would have to put someone like Salvin Ahmed and even Jamichael Hasty in the on, on the fantasy radar. And then Thank I think you. Jeff Wilson is one hundred percent. I thought you, <laughs> you were thought I was mention gonna mention Jeffy. Him, yeah. Jeffy won me a fucking fantasy match. Yeah, he's my crescendo. Year. He's easily the running back totally. three right now in that offense, so I think he should be on every deep dynasty league. Yeah, and for just to touch on Tariq Cohen, I think it's really simple. I did projections, and he came out very similar to David Montgomery when it comes to total PPR fantasy points. So, you know, I really like Tariq Cohen. I really dislike David Montgomery, and you know, they it kind of their fantasy points and how they play out kind of reflects their games. Like Tariq Cohen can explode out of nowhere, right? And David Montgomery can break a million tackles and still not <laughs> explode, and that's the same for your fantasy lineups where Tariq Cohen's going to give you those big spiked weeks he's going to give you down weeks but you're getting him so cheap you may as well just plug him in as your RB3 and hope he blows up that week and I've had a lot of success rostering Tariq Cohen over over the last couple years so I just think he's a a perennially perennially underrated English motherfucker do you speak it all wrapped up really nicely. I like Tariq Cohen too. I think my ranking might might be a little bit low on him because I do like the the pass catching upside with Nick Foles potentially coming in to start. So I like that tie. So uh, real quick, um, we're gonna start moving along here. But before we fly out of that piece, do you got any do you got any veteran running backs that you're looking at? Um, maybe some guys that you're you think you're a little bit higher on or that the community is sleeping on. Uh, why don't you give me a veteran running back that you're looking at? Well, the guy I have here will, uh, you know, I'm surprised this guy's not on your list with the profile running backs there. I got mm-hmm. Latavius Murray. I really like Latavius Murray this year, and it's just, again, like uh, Tevin Coleman there. I just am um, appreciating the offense that is the Saints, that offensive line, those run schemes, and I just think he has a huge upside, and unlike some of those backs we saw when Latavius Murray was in there for an injured Alvin Kamara, that he was actually given some pass, down, uh, totally. pass catching work. 
So yeah, I have I have Latavius Murray as my running back thirty seven, and he's uh, running back forty four, running back forty five, and ADP and ECR. I like it. Yeah, and I mean, I think like you said, Latavius Murray is probably a little more versatile than those running backs I listed. So that's probably why he didn't make the cut for me. <laughs> He's he's always been yeah, he's always been like underrated he's, athletically it's funny because he's one of those kind of bigger upright runners. Um, when you look at mm-hmm. yeah, whatever that I, means. I don't know really what that means necessarily, but like you look at David Johnson and that's made him a little bit susceptible to injury maybe. Um, but Latavius Murray's kept on chugging. He's had some some bumps and bruises in his career, but uh, I believe he has a top twelve season to his credit as far as running backs go in in his years with uh, with Oakland. I think he did. Yeah, I think he had back-to-back ones, yeah. And we like to comp those offensive Very lines from Oakland call. back in the day to the Very New Orleans Saints there. right now. I like that. Yeah. Their offensive line is stellar for sure. So, Trav, I noticed, uh, let's let's keep on the running backs here. I have a couple guys that both of us were very high on. So, we are both about 10 spots high on Kareem Hunt and Matt Breida. With some of the discussions we had about Kareem Hunt uh, earlier inside of that Browns discussion, are you uh, moving off that a little bit, or are you still willing to call Kareem Hunt one of those league winners in the fifth or sixth round? And what are your thoughts on Matt Breida as kind of that league winner in the eighth to twelfth round I range? will be honest with you, Ty. Our conversation earlier definitely made a bit of a light bulb go off that I need to reevaluate Kareem Hunt, uh, but that doesn't change the fact that I really like the potential in this offense. I think if there's designed running back passing routes, it's going to be Kareem Hunt more often than it's going to be Nick Chubb. So I think for whatever whatever that volume looks like, even though we said it might not necessarily be out of the slot, I think Kareem Hunt is it. And then for me, like um, I've actually, it's funny, I've been talking to certain people on Twitter about this recently, and a lot of people um, kind of get hung up on the fact that Kareem Hunt finished uh, right around where Nick Chubb finished while he was in the lineup last year. And I've been trying to say that, uh, and you and I have talked about it, Ty, is that we have to, uh, for me, I'm looking more at the Minnesota offense from 2019 if I'm trying to compare something to what we're going to see in Cleveland this year as opposed to the Cleveland offense of last year who had a completely different system and situation. So uh, for me, and I, I saw I saw pretty good volume for Alexander Madison, especially within the red zone. So I think there is definitely some upside because Kareem Hunt, I think, can be much more efficient than Alexander Madison. So I think there is definitely some upside. Um, after our conversation earlier, earlier, though, fifth round seems a little bit steep. Six, maybe. Um, but yeah, that's he's right on the cusp of where I think he will finish. So I guess that might mean he doesn't pay off fully but i think you know there's a huge range of outcomes for him where he could just explode as well so i'm down for that yeah what you said earlier about cream hunt really stood out to me like if we are worried about some of those run heavy packages coming what will be affected like cream hunt won't have as built-in floor as right. we're hoping that that's definitely the the ramifications i think and just getting into him versus nick chubb i could spend all day talking <laughs> about that uh it's basically just touchdowns man like i think it was just high variance when it comes to touchdowns nick chubb just wasn't scoring touchdowns he was having awful efficiency at the goal line and cream hunt put up four or five touchdowns i think says so it really was just touchdowns and obviously that built-in floor when it comes to the pass catching uh for the weeks that he didn't blow up but nick chubb was still seeing like 20 touches a game he was legally he was among the league leaders in red zone and goal line carries with cream hunt in the lineup so i, I have almost no worries about nick chubb and love what you said about the minnesota comparisons because alexander madison saw some of 
of uh, some of the most work when it comes to even red zone touches and stuff as a running back too in an offense last year. And you did not answer me on uh, Matt Breida. So we've we've talked a little bit about it, but just in a word or two, do you think Matt Breida has that league winning potential? Uh, league winning might be might be a little bit hefty to put my flag onto, but I think I think he has the talent to be that. I just don't know if he necessarily has the situation to be that. Let's just say that. I think. Um, sorry, you, you said in a word, well, but I'm using like a bunch of words. <laughs> no, I know, and that's it. Was just a terrible question, a terrible lead. What do you think about this, Trav? Do you think he gets as high as say the sixth or seventh round in drafts or do you think he'll stay eighth ninth tenth um, in that range that, that's a tricky one to see what the market's gonna do i think he probably stays within like the eighth but it's not gonna surprise me man people love running backs and um that guy is explosive as hell he breaks big plays all the time and i think he's got some untapped potential in the passing game so if uh if there's any tea leaves that come out that show that he is gonna have a bigger workload maybe on first and second down then yeah he will get into that sixth and seventh which might price him out for me to be honest which sucks because i love matt Breida. <laughs> absolutely so, Trav, let's transition here and get into a couple guys that you love here. And one guy, when we look at your rankings versus my rankings at the running back position, you are a little bit higher on Chris Carson. He is your running back 18. He's actually the running back 20 in ADP, so I guess I look a little bit low on Chris Carson. Running back 17 in ECR, so you and the experts right in lock sync. Uh, do you think, number one, that these rankings in ADP might be lagging post-Carlos Hyde signing? Do you worry about the Carlos Hyde signing, and what do you like about Chris Carson? Yeah, well, I think you could be right on a little bit of a lag there. Um, but I, for me, Carlos Hyde doesn't really necessarily worry me. I think he's more just kind of insurance in in case Chris Carson gets a little bit banged up, which is definitely a reality. Yeah, or, or fumbles, fumbles a bunch, times. which um, can happen for sure. But hopefully he can ratchet that up a little bit. But I think, you know, I think Chris Carson, they really like him in Seattle. He has been a top 15 back the last two years. Mm -hmm. Last year, he was the quarterback 12. And we know that that team is going to run the ball a lot. So I think regardless of the back, they're going to run run the ball a lot. If it's, you know, if Chris Carson goes down or fumbles, then I think Carlos Hyde is in for quite a bit of work as well. But last year they gave Carson 278 carries in 15 games. So if he plays 16 games, he's probably looking at like 300 carries, which is which is fantastic for a not durable back, right, who has fumble issues. So, um <laughs> Yeah, but that like, and I think you're right. Like Chris Carson is just such an amazing running back. Like he's one of the best mm -hmm. runners in the NFL, I think. And you just have to look at broken tackles and yards after the con uh, yards after contact for for Chris Chris Carson. He is inarguably a top five most elusive mm -hmm. running back in the league. Well, I think like to add to that carry volume, he got 46 targets last year. And I think that's just kind of a cherry on top because you're not really expecting that. So, um, I, you know, I think his ceiling could be higher than running back 18, where I, well, obviously we've seen him finish at running back 12 and 14. But I think you add those 40 something targets, those 25 to 30 receptions, then I think that's where, you know, his top 12, 15 status comes into play. But I haven't obviously ranked at running back 18 just because I can't predict that in the Seattle offense, especially if they bring in Antonio fucking Brown. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Well, I, I think for such a pass-heavy, uh, pa uh, run-heavy offense in Seattle, like I think there is still significant downside with Chris Carson starting with that mm -hmm. ball security. Like that's not, 
you know, you don't usually want to talk about ball security, but when you fumble nine times and it's like the most in the last decade, you have to talk about it. And I think it's interesting because at least at the very least, like Carlos Hyde is a body that they can go to. Whereas last year they didn't have that body. And I think that's why they stuck with Chris Carson through those fumbles. Uh, I think it's also why uh, he saw the amount of targets he saw, because I think we have to mention DJ Dallas, mm-hmm. who was drafted fairly high when it comes to our expectations going into the NFL draft. Seattle Seahawks drafted DJ Dallas pretty high, and he is a former uh, wide receiver from the U there. But yeah, I, I really can't stress how how much I like Chris Carson as a runner. He's so elusive. Uh, the broken tackles are just off the charts. The other guy that I noticed you were higher on, Trav, in your rankings is David Montgomery, and that's what people love about David Montgomery is the tackle breaking. But, you know, I have a couple issues with him. You have him ranked as a top 24 running back. He's your running back 23. I have him as my running back 30, and he's the running back 24 in ADP and ECR. So uh, try and convince me because it, it, right now it looks yeah, like well, I hate ADP him. ADP and ECR, I think I should be asking you why you're so low on him. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm I kidding. guess so. I'm, yeah. I'm not a huge David Montgomery guy. Like I'm pretty in lockstep with you with that actually as far as my feelings towards him and, and kind of what he does. I just think that for me – in the Bears offense with uh, with Nick Foles potentially being the starter. I think Nick Foles could breed some more scoring for that offense just because he's a more effective distributor and he's not going to use his legs, right? So he's going to be handing the ball off and he's going to be dinking and dunking it a little bit. And we've talked a lot about how David Montgomery doesn't get the receptions because of Tariq Cohen, but I could see them maybe just giving a little bit more passing volume overall to their running backs, which in turn would mean that David Montgomery would get a little bit more as far as target volume. And I think they could do that because Tariq Cohen is a free agent at the end of the season. And if they want to really see how much they can unlock David Montgomery, they should probably start trying to throw him the ball a little bit to see if they have that guy or if they're going to have to draft another another type of back in the, in the draft coming up. So I think they might want to see what he's got in that facet of the game to see if they want to offer something to Tariq Cohen or if they want to go elsewhere next season. So that's kind of where I'm sitting with David Montgomery at the, at the running back 23. Um, why do you hate him, Ty? <laughs> yeah, it, it really is just the pass catching. Like, the reason I rail on him is because he is not as good of a runner as people like Devin Singletary, James Conner, Chris Carson. These are guys, Josh Jacobs, all these guys put up broken tackles at the same rate as David Montgomery, maybe slightly below him, but they absolutely crush him in yards after contact and, you know, doing something with those broken tackles. And my issue with David Montgomery is his best attribute is his pass catching prowess. And with Tariq Cohen on the roster, that's just really, he's capped in that facet of the game. And, I, I totally agree that with Tariq Cohen probably being elsewhere in 2021, maybe they do want to see what David Montgomery has to offer. But I think at the same time, they've seen it in practice and know that he does have high upside in the passing game. Uh, what I worry about is that there really isn't anywhere for that to come from. You think of how low mm-hmm. the tight end market share was in Chicago last year, and now they have seven or eight tight ends that we have to account for. So I think that's kind of uh, what's what I'm battling with when I think of can David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen maybe just split the running back market share. I still just think it will be uh, defined roles where Tariq Cohen's in there for passing downs, David mm-hmm. Montgomery's in there for rushing downs, and I just don't see that huge touchdown total. We haven't seen that in Chicago in years, and uh, he he just ranked. He, there's always one guy in a draft who loves oh, yeah. David Montgomery. Oh yeah, there's yeah every single one. It's Monty Monty for life. <laughs> 
I think he's, you know, people love volume. Volume's easy to chase for fantasy, but with players like David Montgomery, Le'Veon Bell, I'm not as for interested sure. in volume as I would be for sure. in others. And uh, uh, hey, BZ, if you're listening, we love you, buddy, even though you're a Monty truther. We love you. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of them, you know. I take a lot of heat for, for <laughs> totally. David Montgomery. Okay, so we're not going to spend any more time on, on Monty and the Bears offense, Ty. So I want to talk about a couple that you are a little bit high on. Um yeah, so we are going to take a trip to downtown Rooktown. You've got Clyde. Sorry, that was awful. I should have used some sort of chess analogy for rookies or rooks, but I <laughs> totally missed the boat on that one. So uh, you've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He is six spots higher than me. So you got him at the running back eight. Actually, five spots. Sorry, math. Uh, you've got him at running back eight. I have him at running back 13. And you have DeAndre Swifty McVay at running back 25, where I have him at running back 33. Um, so why don't you why don't you start with Clyde the Glide? I know you love you some Clyde. So why don't you let me know why you've got him ranked inside the top 10? Because from what I've seen, I would say that's probably a little bit bold, no? Yeah, definitely not by historical yeah. data when you look at Andy Reid running backs or, you know, I just think there's a million reasons I could point to, but it really is just that Clyde Edwards-Alaire has very little room to fail and every single piece of historical data points towards Clyde Edwards-Alaire not only paying off his ADP, but being a top 10 running back for fantasy. And uh, if, if, we're, if we're talking about why he's being brought up, it's only six spots, but it is because it's at the top of the draft. And I think I'm going to have a lot of Clyde Edwards Alaire in the mm-hmm. second round. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because we've been kind of on different ends of the spectrum and obviously five spots in the rankings all within the top 15 isn't really anything to, to scoff at. But uh, yeah, for me, I, I have questioned a little bit of whether he's going to see that target volume as well as the carry volume because I just, I don't know, they've, they've had generational players in Andy Reid's system like Kareem Hunt, Jamal Charles. Um, maybe Brian Westbrook isn't generational, but I think they're generational might be strong in general. They're just all really good players. Kareem, yeah, Kareem Hunt, Hunt yep. Jamal, Jamal Charles. And all these guys you're mentioning are all guys that the GM, the head coach, and even Patrick Mahomes referenced at the post-draft For press sure. conference. Like, I know a lot of people are eating up these weird news pieces like the running backs coach for uh, for Kansas City saying that they're going to split carries. Like, yeah, no duh. We don't even care about the carries that much. We care about the goal line carries, which will be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's. We care about the market share in Andy Reid's offense at the running back position. That's also Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's. And they drafted this guy. Like, go read up on the post-draft for press sure. conference. Like, the, the references they make on how he's going to be used like Kareem Hunt, Jamal Charles, how he comps to Brian Westbrook, how he's as versatile as Christian McCaffrey. Like they are absolutely in love with him. And right now they are just not going to say, nah, we have no totally, use for him. Totally. And, and I get that too. And I love Andy Reid and I love what he does for an offense. I still have a hard time seeing, seeing Clyde doing what those players did. Cause I think they're so much better than him. And just with the first round running back pick, I don't want to play devil's advocate too, too much Ty, but with the first round running back pick, I think that's something that they kind of had to do if they wanted to get one of the top five running backs in this draft, because at the back of the second, they wouldn't have got any of those top five. So, um, I could totally be wrong and and don't get me wrong I'm not a better talent evaluator than Andy Reid and his staff by any means but I'm not quite on that train yet but I could probably be swayed when I see it for sure yeah, and I think there's always been question marks with Andy Reid's running back that he drafts. Shady McCoy, all these guys were too small, or, you know, there's just always knocks on his running back. So that's another reason that I'm kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt because I think that's another 
complex to why Clyde Edwards-Alaire is a little bit slept on right now is because everybody had Jonathan Taylor ahead of him, everybody had DeAndre Swift ahead of him, everybody had mm-hmm. J.K. Dobbins ahead of him. But guess what? Clyde Edwards-Alaire went as the first running back off the board in the NFL draft. And in the last half decade, nine running backs have gone in the first round, and almost all of them had about 200 touches in their rookie season. And if you have 200 touches in your rookie season under Andy Reid, you're, mm-hmm. you're a top 10 runner. Yeah, there's, like, people are at both ends of the spectrum. Like, in my Scott Fishbowl division, he went at the 205 which was steeper than I had seen him go as well. So He went in the third round of mine to Josh Hermsmeyer, one of yeah, my he's favorite great analysts. For sure. And yeah, so you are not alone in that. So why don't we talk about DeAndre Swift, buddy? We uh, spent a little time on Clyde the Glide there. So DeAndre Swift, I mentioned you had at 25 and I have at the running back 33. Um, so what are you smoking that's got you so high on DeAndre Swift? <laughs> Well, actually, this is kind of a reverse one of the one we were talking about earlier because I should be asking why you're so low because I was surprised that Swift is actually the RB25 in ADP, so I'm right in line with ADP. It surprised me. He's the running back 28 in ECR, but I think that I've really noticed in like FFPC drafts, some of the higher stake drafts I've done, he goes right in that fifth, sixth round range, and I just think the upside is so big because he's the player in that offense who doesn't have to come off the field, and DeAndre Swift, keep in mind, was a lot of people's running back one talent-wise in this draft and I think Detroit sort of jumped at him you know what I mean sort of like mm-hmm. Nick Chubb with Cleveland uh, I, I think it's a perfect marriage and obviously this offense with Darren Bevel and Matt Patricia they want to get back to what worked or at least what they think is going to work and uh, that that's part of the reason that I'm a little bit down on Matt Stafford as well as I just think that's going to be a lot of rushing and a lot of running back uh, targets I think that running back target share is going to go right back to that 2018 number we saw so it's just uh, the fact that DeAndre Swift has a lot of ways to pay off his ADP, and he, he has a lot of versatility, and I think he can even be split out to the slot when we look at players like Danny Amendola and Drono Allison being uh, the slot wide Yeah, I like Swift Detroit. as a player big time. It was more the situation that I have him so low. Um, that's kind of the reason why I've got him there. Um, there may be a little bit of my former carry-on truther that hasn't quite faded yet as well because I think carry-on is really good in the passing game, and like you said, I, I think yeah, he'll get lots of work yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. Just I, I think Swift's gonna get like the high leverage work though, including possibly the goal. Actually, I don't know. I what do you think about the goal line? Who for do you me, think gets the goal totally line? Work right. There? It's kind of a what have you done for me lately? And what they've done lately is bring in DeAndre Swift to be their their main runner at least. Um, so I'm I if he can command that pass catching work, then I definitely think DeAndre Swift is you know I way undervalue him. But I, for me, I think on Johnson is just going to continue to command that passing work for now. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one to see because that's one of the tandem backfields that I think is very muddy. And for me, it's a run game that I haven't historically believed in as opposed to um, that carry on Johnson love. So they, they're an interesting offense. We thought they were going to be super run heavy last year and they weren't. The tea leaves once again say they're going to do it again. So it, we will see, man. We mm-hmm. shall see. Yeah, and I both these guys are just kind of rookie running backs that I'll plant my flag on. I'm just ready to go to bat for them. Just players I have a little bit higher than the masses, I think, that are going a little bit higher in drafts, whereas someone like Cam Akers, I might be mm-hmm. fading a little bit. And I, I think those are interesting guys to try and get in on at this point in the fantasy season because once they get sort of the industry bump from, say, an Evan Silva or something, it's game over. You won't get these guys in the mm-hmm. fifth and sixth, seventh uh, round. Shout anymore. out to Evan Silva. He is in my Scott Fishbowl division. Um, so that was, uh, you mentioned one of the studs that's in yours. So I figured I'd had to get mine out and you mentioned him for me. So, uh, yeah, Evan Silva is in the rock'em sock'em with me. He's drafting at the 106 where I'm the 107. So it's been fun. 
Oh, nice. You guys are gonna yeah, snipe for each sure. other. For sure. He's probably gonna snipe me more than I'm gonna snipe him. But it's it's my honor. It's my honor, <laughs> man. He can snipe me all day. <laughs> I'll pivot. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Phrasing. So yeah, Trav, DeAndre Swift, Clyde Edwards there. These are, I, I just wanted to bring them up because, or at least I was happy you brought them up and we talked about it because they are rookies and they're guys that, you know, there'll be a lot of deviation. They'll go in the fourth or fifth or sixth round in one draft. They'll go in the eighth, ninth round of a different draft. So depending on a home league or how sharp your draft is, I think those are really interesting players to talk about. Uh, Trav, is there a running back though that you are noticeably higher or lower on near the top of the draft? Because rankings don't usually stray too much in the top 10 to 20 at the running back position. But does anybody fit that bill for you that we didn't cover? Yeah, tonight? I mean, a little bit, uh, a little bit. So we actually kind of did touch on him a little bit. We talked some Tannehill. So I'm going to talk a little Derrick Henry here. I'm not like uber low on him i do have him at the running back 11 and i think for most people he does go within that top 10 if not within like the top eight for some so yeah like i said i have him at the running back 11 and it's interesting because my stance on Tannehill um kind of made me realize that maybe i'm buying more into the passing game for the tennessee titans which isn't something that i necessarily would have expected uh maybe going into last year but i got a dynasty team Let's make a deal. Corey Davis is all yours. <laughs> I know that dynasty team, I'm pretty sure, and I'm not biting, brother. <laughs> yeah, so for, for Derrick Henry, I mean, I just kind of have a hard time predicting that he's going to get the 15-plus total touchdowns again. Uh, he was the running back five in 2019, and I think that's probably almost his ceiling with with not getting any pass-catching work. So I just kind of like the guys around him better. I've got Aaron Jones, Kenyon Drake, and Miles Sanders just ahead of him. And like I said, maybe I'm buying a little bit more of the Titans off or the Titans passing offense and thinking maybe they'll throw the ball a little bit more while still remaining maybe run centric. But yeah, I think he's just a little bit limited. And uh, I like the guys around him that have the multifaceted skill sets. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm actually a little bit lower on Derrick Henry. Nice, man. So I was kind of a little bit low on Derrick Henry there. So I want us to kick it off on a high note, Ty. Why don't you flip the script? And give me give me a running back that's in you know that top like fifteen ish uh, that you're maybe a little bit high on than than consensus. Yeah, so maybe I'd refer to these guys as sort of my cutoff. You know how I've talked a lot about how I attack a draft, so I'm usually looking for those running backs in my top fifteen or twenty of rankings, and then I'm really kind of steering clear because of those that running back dead zone rounds three, four to six or so. So I couldn't pick just one guy, Trav. I wanted to go out on a double high note. So I picked uh, Todd Gurley and James Conner. Uh, lots of running backs past the top couple rounds. They These guys all come with tons of question marks, right? And I think Gurley and Conner, they come with lots of upside for fantasy and pass catching while healthy. And they both have running back one seasons in recent years on the resume. So I, I really like Todd Gurley. I really like James Conner. They have the potential to have that confluence of events to have that big season. Uh, and I think for, for both of them, it might just come down to their health and durability. What, what do you think of I those I think two? you're spot on, man. If these guys remain healthy, they have the lion's share of the work. Uh, Pittsburgh has shown that they want to use a single back. And, I mean, obviously Pittsburgh is definitely more your area of expertise. But for me, they have shown that they really want to just use one running back. And they've also shown that they can use this specific player in James Conner in that role. And I think Todd Gurley, I mean, Ito Smith and Brian Hill aren't doing shit for me as far as Todd Gurley. So I like him to have a potential bounce back. Uh, We've mentioned before that he's more of a short-term play than he is a long-term play. But I do really like that. I've got Gurley at 15 for me and uh, James Conner at 
running back 20 right now. So I'm kind of right in that same wheelhouse as you are. Um, so yeah, Ty, I'm happy that uh, that we were able to kick it off on a high note. I feel like this might be the spot where we're supposed to actually hit a high note vocally, but I'm going to save our listeners from that because nobody wants to hear that. Um, <laughs> the funny thing, it actually just popped into my head, you know, the scene in FUBAR where Diener after he gets his ball surgery where he's hitting those extremely high notes yeah. and, and, and Terry goes hey Dean it's because of your balllessness that is like that's like <laughs> some of the best shit I've ever seen on any sort of movie so if any of our listeners have not seen FUBAR or FUBAR 2 this particular scene is in FUBAR 2 but FUBAR 1 is much better but I just just watch them both because they're hilarious if you want like extreme mm-hmm. Canadian watch these guys because they are like fresh out yeah. Hey, D- yeah, definitely one is definitely hundred percent better. Than 100% two, better. Sure. I, I will never say differently, but that particular scene, just the way that he goes, Hey Dean, it's cause of your balllessness just cracks me up every time I hear it. <laughs> As I it sounds like it has the yeah, same it effect. Be in the on Canadian me. dictionary. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it might be the best part in yeah, Fubar too. That's yeah, good shit. Sure I'm fucking getting rip roared and loaded alone on Canada. I don't fucking care. Like, I ain't alone. I'm part of, like, 39 and a half million fucking people all together. So. Okay, Ty. So just real quick before we kind of ride out here, I've been talking a lot. So I'm just going to talk a little bit more. Uh, (laughs) We have recently launched the TNFF (laughs) Network. Uh, That is our YouTube channel. And we're really trying to pump the stuff out on there. We got some really good content in the pipes. I've got a couple of videos to edit just this evening, actually, Ty. And then you posted one just within the last couple of days. Any of our podcast listeners, please, if you want to continue to spread the True North love, go over to the TNFF Network on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. Um, There is a video within where there is a contest for um, when we reach 100 subscribers. And just a newsflash for anybody who's listening, we are only about two subscribers away from hitting 100. So yeah, if you you get us to 100, we are going to draw one lucky winner out of that 100 to win a True North coffee mug because Ty and I are big coffee people. Lastly, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Dynasty Rewind for recently having me on a live session on last Friday night. They had me on and it was awesome. Will and I at It's Harris Time. That's our buddy big willie style he came on that with me and then the night before that i went on the two-on-one with tommy mo had a bunch of guys on there a good group of guys who have all helped yeah, us tremendously and, you know it was way. just a really good group of guys on that pod we talked a bunch of scott fishbowl and uh, tommy was actually the first pod that ty and i ever guested on so uh, we appreciated him giving us the shot there. And uh, yeah, we, we talk a lot to Tommy Mo, and you should definitely go follow the two-on-one. Tommy actually started a YouTube channel, Ty. Um, so if uh, if any of our viewers go to YouTube and subscribe to us, subscribe to the two-on-one because Tommy's always putting out good stuff. Undoubtedly. <laughs> All right, with that, Ty, it sounds like you're good to go for me to ride out. So once again, thanks to everybody. We will see you next week. The next episode is going to be the wide receiver and tight end version of this very episode. So stay tuned if you want to hear that. And we'll talk to you soon, guys. Peace.